So we're going to start page 1185. We're going to go from chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Hmm? If you don't have the book, that is... It's about seven chapters in, eight, nine chapters in, to the New Testament. Hmm? Books. Yeah. Okay. If you guys will stand with me as we read the Word of God. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits at God's right hand in the place of honor and power. Let heaven fill your thoughts. Do not think only about the things down here on earth, for you died when Christ died, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in His glory. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual sin, impurity, lust, and shameful desires. Don't be greedy for the good things of this life, for that is idolatry. God's terrible anger will come upon those who do such things. You used to do them when your life was still a part, was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old evil nature and all its wicked deeds. In its place you have closed yourselves with a brand new nature that is continually being renewed as you learn more and more about Christ, who created this new nature within you. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and He lives in all of us. Let's pray before you sit down. God, I thank You for for Your Word that, that explains things to us, and just tell us what to do, but why to do it, um, and gives us the means to do that. God, I pray that we'll hear from you directly today, um, that we'll see you, as Paul says, set your sights on heaven. Um, God, that we can do that as we gather today and just be a fellowship of people looking for you. I'm looking forward to you coming back again. Um, We pray this in your name, amen. You can sit down if you would like to. Okay, some of you have been with us the whole time that we've been going through Colossians. Chapter 3 is a switch for us from going from doctrine into ethic or practice. So, uh, Paul's letters usually go like this. You have the greeting, hi I'm Paul, how you doing? I love you guys. To his doctrine, uh, who you are in Christ, who Christ is for you. And then into practice, which is, this is what it looks like to have Christ in you. Okay? And so, this is the switch we get in, in uh, chapter 3. And I will say that the switch is, is hard for us in a different way than the doctrine has been. The doctrine could be hard for us conceptually, right? It might be defeating some of our ideas we've had along the way, but then... The, the ethic of the kingdom of God is going to be really challenging for us in another way because it becomes 
much more practical or visible, right? So before you might be able to get away with something because you tell someone you believe it, but with the ethic you can't get away with it because if you don't live it, it shows you don't believe it, okay? And so that's why it's really, it's really good that Paul gets into this, this part when he's saying, okay, this is what it looks like, this is how you act um, if you are really partaking in Christ. Um, so I'm going to review really quickly for us what uh, Romans, or sorry, Colossians 3, 1 through 4, um, where we find immediately this, the radical change of environment, which he's been talking about doctrinally. And what this looks like, I want you to imagine really quick that you have a beautiful home, maybe you do, maybe you don't, and you've decided to adopt an orphan. All right? You adopt this orphan, the orphan comes in, this orphan has never had anything, right? Their existence has been living from hand to mouth, whatever they could, they could uh, scavenge for themselves, right? And so this orphan comes into the home, and they sit down at the table, or they open the fridge, and they see the food, and they're like, they're overwhelmed. And you tell them, oh, this is for you. You can eat this. This is your food, right? They go to their room, and you say, this is your bed. You can sleep in this bed. Right? These are your clothes. You can wear them whenever you like. They're not going to be taken away from you. Okay? And that's the picture that we get when we, we come to this new environment of being a Christian. So this is distinctly Christian what's being offered here to those that are in relationship with God the Father. And they come in and we ask, so I can set my sights on heavenly things because that is the reward of me as being a, a son of God or a daughter of God. That's mine. And God says, yes, this is yours for eternity. And so that's this new environment that we're in when it says, set your sights on heavenly things. Um, the temptation, really quickly for us, whether it's the orphan coming into the home or us coming into the kingdom, is quickly assuming that... Um, it is the obligation of God to give us these things, right? Forgetting that it's not by works, but by grace you've been saved. It's not because the orphan wrote a letter saying, oh, if you would only adopt me. But it's because of the prerogative of the family. It's because of the prerogative of God that you are a child of God. Um, so we don't forget that um, and revert back to ignorance. Um, because if we revert back to that ignorance trying to give us the honor for it, we are essentially pushing ourselves out of that blessing, right? Because we're reverting back to what I can scavenge, and we're not meant to ever scavenge for these things. We're meant to abide in Christ and receive these things because we're in Him, right? United with Him. Um, as we read here in the first four verses, I want to make two comments really quick about them before we move on. Um, two attributes that are given to this life that we have in Christ. The first is that it's, it's not, um, that enjoying this life is not a given, right? Even when you have it. That makes sense? So it says, set your sights on things of above. Set your sights on heavenly things. The reason why it's asking you to do that is because when you enter into it, it's not that it becomes all of a sudden natural for you to enjoy that and enjoy what's offered to you, right? And this is important for us to, to realize. Oftentimes, we're a Christian, we go, 
okay, well, why isn't it that I'm, I'm not just pure in all my instincts, right? <laughs> and that's after we get this whole body of doctrine, and that's why we, when we move into practice, the practice is, okay, abide in Christ. Be, be connected to Him in such a way that you're thinking about Him fondly. Um, the other attribute given to this new life is that it says, your thoughts will be seated with Christ who is at the right hand of the Father. And so it's this place of holiness, right? And so the attribute of your new perspective should not be unholy in any way, right? It should be with Christ in this place where, um, <laughs> where your dialogue, your interaction with God is, um, is pure, innocent, uh, holy, in a way that, um, you know, Ephesians 2 says it really clear, and we revert back to this often, because it, it says it so clearly that, that our mentality for so long has been death, right? You lived among them at one time, gratifying the desires of your sinful nature. That was your existence. When you come out, there's going to be a lot of... <laughs> um, you, have you ever read a book... Maybe it's a children's book. I love children's books. I was reading one yesterday. And, um, well, you know, like the Chronicles of Narnia type. This one was called 100 Cupboards. You should check it out. Um, where it's, you find the world described in a new way, right? It's like, um, like this Laura Ingalls Wilder book called Under the Lilacs, right? The title itself, you're like, that's great, right? It just really makes you exalt in your imagination something that you might not have before. And, and that's when you are saved, you're asked to set your mind up with Christ, right? To no, no longer, um, like C.S. Lewis would say, make mud pies, right? When all this is offered to you, stop, stop reverting back. Press on, seek Christ, set your mind where Christ is. And that is not going to be easy. That's not going to be natural for you. Um, but um, we get this, uh, this sort of culmination that we can all look forward to in verse 4. And this is going to take us into 5 through 11, where it says, And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. So this appearance in the Bible, what this is called is the wedding feast, right? When... Uh, we love the song, Beautiful, your bride will come together and will sing, right? When, when the bride of Christ, those that are His, finally are united with their bridegroom. Um, and even in this practice, maybe in our personal experience, relationships have not been the best thing to draw good memories from, okay? But this is a very, uh, this is a very sanctified view of it. And so, um, I want you to consider with me what this looks like. When uh, you get this in NIV, it says, when Christ appears, right? And so, you have this appearing of Christ when you finally see him, and you get that feeling that it's finally come, right? That's why, if you've been to a wedding, I've been a, after this summer, I'll be the groomsman in 15 weddings, right? I've been up at the front a lot. I've never been the groom. But you, you finally get to, right? It's like this whole anticipation, and then all of a sudden, the right music starts, right? 
and everyone looks back, and the bride walks in, and everyone stands, right? And she doesn't walk too fast, because she wants to be seen by all, right? But she's not looking at everyone, she's looking at the bridegroom, right? And so this, this approach happens, but the, pro, uh, the approach is all looking forward to the exchanging of vows, right? And that's really the sense that you're getting here of this commitment that's being made. Us who are coming to Christ, walking in as we finally, the door opens and we finally see the bridegroom and we're walking towards him and this, this culminating view. And a lot has been done in preparation for this, right? Um, this is special because of the commitments being made to love and cherish apart from anyone else. I choose you above all other, right? Um, and there's a commitment being made in your very soul of what you will do to see that out to fulfillment, right? And that, that's the way we're, we're meant to see this, right? That we treat it as holy, because it's important as we go into verses 5 through 11, where we see something very startling happen, right? Because we have this amazing scene, and then all of a sudden, verse 5, it says, So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Right? So you have this amazing togetherness of finally, as God purifies a bride, and he's chosen her, and they've come together, and that's what we've been looking forward to, all of a sudden you're like, put to death? That kind of ruins the romantic mood here, right? And I think part of that is because of the terrible, uh, the terrible, few terrible perspectives that we have taken on um, as a people. And one is underestimating uh, ourselves and our, I guess, misunderstanding who we are. Verse 5 says really clearly, it says, put to death the sinful things, where are they? It says they're lurking within you, right? And so the seed of what can cause your separation from God is lurking within you, right? And so that's really important. As you see this beautiful wedding that's taking place, right? What's sobering, if you think about it, is what, cause, what can cause that wedding, that marriage to fall apart is those two people that are approaching each other to make a connection, to make a commitment with each other, right? The seed is lurking within them, right? If they become self-absorbed, prideful, they start not thinking of the other person, Right? This, is, this is huge. Put to death the sin that is lurking within you. The second is um, that we have forgotten what God's desire is for us. Um, oftentimes, uh, in in our modern ideas of religion, will either go to this view of 
God will just accept me for who I am, right? That's oftentimes where wrong, wrong thinking comes about God. It's like, well, I, I just feel passionate about all these things and God understands that. And so he just accepts me, right? And so we don't try to please God. We figure God's just trying to please us, right? So he could have us as his own. The other way is legalism, where we think that apart from God, we can still please God by just doing some laws, right? Neither of those make good relationships. If you take this back to, say, a husband and a wife, or, or even, say, two friends, if, so Nate and I are roommates, uh, if I function on, I can do whatever I want, and this is fine, but he always has to do something to please me, Right? That's going to be a terrible roommate situation, right? Or if I think I never have to go home, but can just clean up after myself, you know, uh, pay the rent, right? If I do all these things, then our relationship will be okay. No, you need communication, right? You need actual interaction, which seeks the good of the other person to have a healthy relationship. Right? But we don't relate that back to God. Oftentimes with God we think, oh, I can just continue being as rebellious as I want to, and, and because of grace, uh, God is just going to be happy with me. And that's a, that's a disastrous idea. Absolutely disastrous. And it is, um, it's eating alive um, so many who are in the church because they don't really have uh, an understanding of what pleases God. That's huge. You know, how often do we ask ourselves, God, what pleases you? I want to do that. You see this, um, I want you to read, you know, sometimes the, the prophets in the Old Testament are hard for us to read because we don't understand them but it helps if you read them through this lens. If you go to Malachi, it's the the book right before Matthew. We're going to read verse 2 and then 6 through 14. I want you you to get a... Chapter 1, yes. So, verse 2, and then 6 through 14 gives us uh, God's, God's real response to him. So, 2 just says, I have loved you deeply, says the Lord, but you retort, really? How have you loved us? Okay, and then moving down to 6, he says, The Lord says to the priests, A son honors his father, and a servant respects his master. I am your father and your master, but where are the honor and respect I deserve? You have despised my name. But you ask, how have we ever despised your name? You have despised my name by offering defiled sacrifices on my altar. Then you ask, how have we defiled the sacrifices? You defile them by saying, the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. When you give blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how he is pleased. Says the Lord, Um, Go ahead, beg God to be merciful to you. But when you bring the kind of offering, why should he show you any favor favor at all? Ask the Lord Almighty. 
I wish that someone among you would shut the temple doors so that these worthless sacrifices cannot be offered. I am not at all pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will not accept your offerings. But my name is honored by the people of other nations from morning till night. All around the world they offer sweet incense and pure offerings in the honor of my name. For my name is great among the nations. But you dishonor my name with your actions by bringing contemptible food. You are saying it's all right to defile the Lord's table. You say it's too hard to serve the Lord. And you turn up your noses at my command, says the Lord. Think of it. Animals that are stolen and mutilated, crippled and sick, presented as offerings. Should I accept from you such offerings as these, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who promises to give a fine ram from his flock, but then sacrifices a defective one to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is feared among the nations. That's incredible, isn't it? Right? We're more prone to think of Jesus as our homeboy than Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Right? And that, that devastates us when we come to God. Because we don't honor Him like He should be honored. This is uh, much easier understood by the children than it is by the grown-ups. And I'll tell you why. Because... Um, from a, a very young age, you're taught as a child, um, if you have good parents that love you, you're taught to obey, right? To trust and obey. We're going to sing the song later. Trust and obey, because there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Right? This simple idea of obedience, all of a sudden, we hit our teens, and we think, I've graduated beyond obedience. Right? Something in us says, well, I, I can all of a sudden decide what pleases you, parents. And when I want to please you, parents, because obedience was a thing of seven years old. Right? But think of this. In the most basic children's stories, we learn things that we should never let go of. Beauty and the Beast. You have to be loved before you are lovable. Right? I know Melissa doesn't like when I say right, but I hope you agree with me on all these things. <laughs> Cinderella, humility is exalted. Think of this. If the fairy godmother came to Cinderella and said, Cinderella, I gave you a, a chariot, I gave you a beautiful dress, only be back by midnight. We never hear Cinderella say, why midnight? And you know why? Because the fairy godmother would say, why can you go to the ball at all? Right? I made it so you could go to the ball. Don't question it. Just go to the mall. Be back by midnight. Right? <laughs> because if she doesn't obey and be back by midnight, it'll be revealed who she really is apart from the fairy godmother. Right? <laughs> and so, this is how we are when we approach God. Rather than saying, Lord, thank you for these good and perfect gifts you've given me. I'm going to abide by what you've set up. We are constantly saying, 
well, why can't I do this, and why won't you still bless me? Why, why can't I just follow my own desires and then come... You have grace, don't you? Hosea 6. God says, O Israel, O Judah, how long will I put up with you? Your love is like a morning mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And that's oftentimes still the way we are with God. That our love is so short. Because all of a sudden, when we desire something else, we'll go after it. And we'll reference the prodigal son story over and over again, hoping that the Father will again and again be merciful. Right? Without ever realizing, God's just saying, set your heart on things of above. Stop playing around with the world. Stop doing it. Just stop. Don't you understand? It's killing you. Unless you put it to death, it will put you to death. Um, I, I want to address a really hard issue very quickly um, and, and how this often is played out. There's some specific examples that are given in Colossians. Um, sexual impurity, um, or sexual sin, impurity, lust, shameful desires. But one that's really common in our, um, in our day and age is the emotional affairs. I don't know if you guys have heard of that. Um, but it's when you give your heart and emotions to another. And you begin thinking fondly about it. And this, is, this, tears, this is one of the main things that tears marriages apart. Um, when you begin giving your affection to another, even though you are in a committed relationship with someone else, in our relationship with God is what it looks like. We are in a committed relationship with God. Follow me here. This is really important. But all of a sudden we start giving our love to something else and thinking fondly about it, right? That's why it's adamant in the first four verses, set your heart on things above, set your mind there. Don't compromise at any level. Because if you do, this is what happens. Um, I I, I don't know if you've seen the movie Fireproof, but this is one of the, the days, this is what it says, and I watched the movie again and wrote it down. Because this is, this is good. It says, watch out for parasites. A parasite is anything that latches onto you or your partner and sucks the life out of your marriage. They're usually in the form of addictions like gambling, drugs, pornography. They promise pleasure but grow like a disease and consume more and more of your thoughts, time, and money. They steal away your loyalty and heart from those you love. Marriages rarely survive parasites um, when they are present. If you love your spouse, you must destroy any addiction that is in your heart. And if you don't, it will destroy you. Compare this with Romans 8, 12 and 13. It says, So dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation whatsoever to the sinful nature in any way. For if you keep on following it, you will perish. That's really important. It says, on one hand, first verse Remember, as children of God, you have no obligation to the sinful nature. If you see it creeping up, you have the authority and the power in Christ to put it to death. But verse 13, for if you keep following it, though, you will perish. Right? That's it's very clear. You have this incredible hope and power in the first verse. As a child of God, you do not need to follow your old master. 
But if you keep following it, you will perish. Right? And that's really key. Remember that. So we often wonder, well, okay, God, why, why if I don't follow you? Why if I don't do what you desire? Why is it that all of a sudden I feel apart from you? Aren't you strong enough, God? Right? That's how we often ask him. Aren't you strong enough to keep me? Loving you, desiring you. Have you ever been in a relationship before? And if you don't give yourself to the other person, you can't expect that that person will be able to talk you into it. Right? We're very reluctant beings. Um, And relationships are meant to be where you freely give yourself for the joy of the other person. And that's how healthy relationships are built. Um, Not only amongst each other, but our relationship with God as well. Um, And that's made available to you by Christ freeing you to do that and enjoy that. Um, Following on in verse 9, it says, Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old evil nature and all its wicked deeds. In its place you have clothed yourselves with brand new nature, and it's continually being renewed as you learn more and more about Christ and create this new nature within you. I'll comment on that really quick. The reason why it starts out, don't lie to each other, and then it goes on to talk about the new nature, is because lies are where it starts. We, we build these... Um, these rooms in our own lives where we harbor a lie, and all of a sudden that lie wants the whole house, right? Because what that does is all of a sudden you've kept something from God, from your, the, your spouse, uh, who you should be in an honest relationship with, and all of a sudden there's a wall there that you can't let them in. You can't let them into that place. Because there's a lie, and you've already started it, In 2 Corinthians 4, it says, Therefore, since through God's mercy you have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we renounce secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in Christ. And this goes on, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power from God is not from us. It's from Him. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be proclaimed in our lives. So we denounce any secret and shameful ways. We want to be open, right? I want to be open with you guys. And I need to be open with God, (laughs) Right? So if there's something there, I'm confessing it. I'm confessing my sins because when I confess them, He is faithful to forgive my sins. Right? When I live in an open relationship with God. But if I don't live in an open relationship, it's devastating and I will perish because of that. It's really sobering words, but they're for your life. You guys get that? <laughs> it's for your good. So in the last, it says... In this new life, it doesn't matter whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised, etc. Christ is all that matters. 
and He lives in all of us. So, the, the final beautiful message of this paragraph is that the reason why this is all being established is for unhindered community. Right? When God saved a people, He saved a body, complete to not think that the right hand didn't need the left hand, or the brain didn't need the heart, right? Or the heart didn't need the brain. We were meant to, in Christ, contribute to each other in this free, give-and-take way. That doesn't mean cultures are diminished. No, that means if you have a culture, bring it in and bless us with it. But Christ is all, and we're all exalting in Him together. When the bride of Christ comes together at the end, there will be this united medley of praise to Him that's beautiful and creative because it involves all of us, but all of us giving glory to Christ Himself. Um, But if you begin to to lie to each other, to hold things back, um, to hide things, you're not only taking away from yourself, your relationship with God, but you're taking something away from the whole body. Um, so I would encourage us as we, as we sing to confess. Um, confess your sins to God if you've uh, held something back. Um, also, man, there can be a huge uh, healing that happens is um, if you pray with my dad and he'll be up here or Pat, pray with me, um, just so there can be real healing. Confession to one another is huge. Take someone, if you need to confess to a brother or sister here, do it. Um, so you can be free, right? And experience that communion with the saints. So I will pray for us, we'll sing, and uh, really unite together in that. Oh God, I thank you that your words for us are life. Even though the first feeling we might have is death, is the, the things that we've held and idolized do need to be put to death so we can not have them always nagging at us when we want to just be free in you. God, I pray that you'll protect this body, I'm your body, and you'll heal us as we just long to be presented before you pure. God, by your Holy Spirit, do this. Do this work in us, we pray. Um, we long for you. We need you for this. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.